Hey there, Seamside listeners. I know I probably don't have to tell you this, but the creative landscape is dotted with mountaintops and valleys, isn't it? If we're lucky, we have more moments up on the mountain where everything appears huge and expansive, full of sunshine and clarity. But it'd be naive to expect to stay there for too long. After a while, we're going to have to come down and walk through that valley, too. This special episode of Seamside is dedicated to those valley moments. Maybe you're in one now. I certainly hope not. I mean, not to be a pessimist, but we've all got another one coming. So in the wake of a personal disappointment, which I'll tell you about here in a little bit, I reached out to past guests on Seamside and asked them to describe how they deal with creative and professional disappointments. I was curious to hear not only how they responded, but also what they found to be helpful. And so it's my hope that this episode is a kind of camaraderie for when we're walking those valleys and can feel so adrift and unsure of what the future holds. Let's listen to what a few familiar and friendly voices have to share, and then I'll be back with my own story. First up is printmaker Nick Dornellis. Hey Zach, this is Nick Dornellis. I just wanted to hop on here really quickly and to tell you and to tell everyone listening that I've also been dealing with a lot of rejection from open call submissions, residency applications, and even grant proposals. Um, This has been happening since I began making art early on in my practice and started started to want to seek opportunities in a more serious manner. And I think it's something that I've just dealt with privately because we're in such a social media saturated world where we only experience someone's successes most of the times. And rejection is kind of seen as an open wound or a sign of vulnerability. But um, early on, I used to just hermit and hide away from the world and watch Netflix and stay in bed all day and be sad. And back then, I also used to associate that rejection and that sense of loss with my self-value and worth, not just as an artist, but a person. And that was extremely toxic. And since then, I realized that the longer that I am away from making my work, the more I'll feel sad. So now I allow myself a certain amount of time to feel that sense of loss and rejection. And I sulk. I still allow myself time to sulk and deal with it and embrace it. And I think now what I do is... I'll regenerate my application. So I'll take the language that I've already built and I'll put it back into new applications. I think it's extremely important to recognize your intellectual property and to hold yourself accountable and to continue to put yourself out there because the amount of work that was put into that application is not lost. So I will find new opportunities that I feel like pertain to me and I will apply to them. But I also have been way more curated than I have ever been with what I apply to, because I think time really is money, but also I like to look at past winners for certain opportunities and to ask myself a serious and honest question of if I qualify at this point in time in my artistic career for that opportunity. And I also want to acknowledge that these applications 
step foot into something way bigger than us, I think, in terms of just institutions or capitalism, you know, it's way greater than us. And it could be something just as simple as the person on the other side of the panel reviewing your application probably didn't even have their coffee that morning and they're looking at your application. And it could be something so simple or it could be something greater, like, you know, greater than you that you don't even know about. So I would take every rejection with a grain of salt. And also in my experiences, I've realized that for every 10 to 15% of my successes, they completely outweigh all of the rejection that I have received. And it's so blissful, that moment of confirmation or success, that letter that you receive. You just feel so on top of the world in that moment. And those moments of happiness make you feel so much closer to what you want to say and put out into the world. And it's only an artifact and a testament to all of the applications that you've already done in the past. So don't look at that rejection as time lost or time spent in in not winning. Look at it as a progression, an uphill climb into something greater because you will experience success and you will experience moments of pure bliss when you win something and continue to do it and continue to seek it because it's an endorphin lift and it's so worthwhile. Anyways, that's all I got. Good luck. I'm rooting for you on the other side and I'm also there with you because I am experiencing it too. Christy Johnson is an embroiderer who, when faced with disappointment, reminds us of the importance of feeling our feelings. Hey, this is Christy Johnson of Mixed Color, and I wanted to talk about a moment of disappointment for me and how I dealt with it. So recently, okay, it was like two days ago, I was getting close to the start of my course beginning, so the sign-up window was closing, and I had gotten to only a quarter of the sign-ups. And I have a six-month-old baby, so that is probably a reflection of how much time I have on my hands to promote everything. But it was still like I've put all my love and passion into this course, and it just felt like it was all kind of falling on deaf ears. So honestly, I think a really important part of it was just to actually grieve it. Like the more that I just sat there and was like, no, it's okay. It's going to be fine. I'll be fine. I'm going to be fine. I'll be totally fine. Everything's going to be fine. I'll be totally fine. The more I was just spiraling. And finally, I just gave myself the opportunity. Okay. I actually, I didn't give myself the opportunity. I just kind of broke down in tears because I was so tired and so exhausted and just realized that I just needed to let myself feel really upset about it and actually grieve it and actually get out all of the stuff inside that was like building up about what it meant about me. And it meant that I couldn't be a good teacher. It meant that nobody was ever going to buy a course from me ever again. It meant that all of these horrible things about me, I was not going to be able to support my daughter, all these things. And just getting those out so that I was able to look at them and be like, okay, I'm being a little bit extreme about this. I'm not going to, you know, not be able to support my daughter because one time people didn't buy the course that I was selling. So that was sort of, after I had gotten all that out, I was able to kind of go, okay, what can I learn from this and how can I move forward? And 
is this something that I need to work on my own personal strategy with promotion or whatever? Or is this just something that like, that's just kind of how the world is right now. And I can just kind of sit back and understand that it is not meaning anything about myself. And it does not mean the rest of my life is going to go to shambles. But the only way I could do that was by allowing those emotions to really flood through and come out in tears and in writing and in talking. And funny thing is like shortly after that, like five people signed up, but (laughs) that sort of didn't matter at that point. I just needed to fully process that. I don't usually share anything about my sales or my not sales in this case. So this is a very vulnerable experience for me, but it just felt like one of those things where I think a lot of us are dealing with that right now and dealing with the fact that sales are slow or business is slow and it happens every summer. And I usually prepare for that every summer. And I just, you know, we need to just give ourselves a little bit of credit for the work that we're doing and understand that these are just stages of life and we can continue to make our work and we continue to do good work. Up next is my friend, Michael Sylvan Robinson, textile artist, who has been thinking quite a bit about disappointment recently. I'm Michael Sylvan Robinson. I go by Sylvan and my pronouns are they, he. I recently shared a social media post that began, I'm always surprised by how disappointed I am when I've put time, vision, and effort into a proposal or submission, met the deadlines, followed the instructions, shared my best work, and I get the, we didn't pick you email. This was the most engaged post I've ever shared, with so many wise comments and so much identification. I've been writing more about this wrestling with disappointment, and I'm glad to share some of that here. So thanks, Zach. Franz Weller, grief activist and author of the book, The Wild Edge of Sorrow, Rituals of Renewal and the Sacred Work of Grief, describes five gates through which grief enters our lives, and the fourth gate is what we expected and did not receive. The truth is, for much of the past year, I was envisioning a very different new chapter, and I invested an enormous portion of my time, care, art energy, and service in places and partnerships with people that didn't match or weren't able to share the building of relationships and the opportunities as I'd hoped. As a full-time school administrator trying also to be a mid-career artist and, and an engaged activist with a loving home and midlife health practices to attend as well, I'd worked hard to be the best me carefully squeezing commitments into my challenging calendar, trying to be upfront about what I could or couldn't manifest, and often turning myself to what I believed would help solidify the work and the way forward. I know this about myself, that I put in extra effort to avoid being disappointed in others, and that this old coping strategy leaves me sometimes failing to ask the out loud questions that might have helped me better reckon with a disconnect unavailability, or even disinterest that I'm trying to face with a hidden hypervigilance, trying to avoid disappointment. The more I care, the harder it is to risk the ache of having them disappoint me or reject what I'm offering and preparing. In Atlas of the Heart, Brene Brown examines the connection between disappointment and expectations. She writes, disappointment is unmet expectations. The more significant the expectations, the more significant the disappointment. When we develop expectations, we paint a picture in our head of how things are going to be and how they're going to look. We set expectations based not only on how we fit in the picture, but also on what those around us are doing in the picture. We come away from the experience of disappointment and feeling bad about ourselves and the other person. Our negativity is tinged with the astonishment and surprise, and at the same time, we're trying to forgive, 
we're concealing the emotions. I know I've had some stellar opportunities over the last few years, and so I can feel this ache as also a kind of a lack of gratitude or even character weakness. But there's something about saying the hard part out loud, the feelings of being let down or excluded, the ways in which the time and effort felt like such a setup for disappointment. And when I name it out loud, as I did in the social media post, the transparency and truth-telling also brought the most generous and thoughtful connections with other artists in many different fields. A former student described advice she'd received to call this collecting rejection letters as a way of showing your work. And I've been reflecting on how to better budget for disappointments, to build into the processes of applying for shows, residencies, and career opportunities that are, of course, highly competitive and offering very few actual acceptances, to build in a kind of recognition of what I can realistically afford to risk in terms of energy and potential outcomes. The old, you can't be selected if you don't apply is true, but there might be also other labor that could yield better potentials that I want to make sure I'm prioritizing. I think what I'm trying to establish as a personal practice is the kind of middle way that Brene Brown describes in Atlas of the Heart. She writes, there is research that shows that one way to minimize disappointment is to lower our expectations. True, optimism can sometimes lead to increased disappointment, and I believe these findings are accurate. But there is a middle path, a way to maintain expectations and stay optimistic that requires more courage and vulnerability. Examine and express our expectations. There are far too many people in the world today who decide to live disappointed rather than risk feeling disappointed. I certainly want to reach my artistic and life goals, and I know that is going to require resilience and a healthier approach to the risk of disappointment. And finally, one of my best personal practices, when I find myself feeling underseen or missing out on what I wanted to achieve, is to increase my care and attention for others. I step up in the activism and I take time to highlight the work of other artists. And that usually reduces the sting or slight I'm trying to weather. I remind myself that the artist I am is generous and community engaged. The quilter Victoria Gertenbach reminds us that acceptance and rejection are really just two sides of the same coin. Hi, I'm Victoria Gertenbach, and my story takes place the summer after I had graduated from art school when a local art museum was going to be having a visiting artist come and critique portfolios. I thought it would be a good idea to subject myself to a critique from this artist, and so I gathered up my best illustration work, which I felt really positive about, And I headed out hoping to receive some constructive advice and gain a connection in the art field. Well, suffice to say, no connection nor constructive criticism and certainly no praise was given out to me that day. Instead, I was handed my bloodied innards ripped out from me by this man who seemed to take great pleasure in letting me know how incredibly untalented and totally worthless I was. And after what felt like being skinned alive for about 30 minutes, I dragged my battered ass and soul outside of the curb where my husband was waiting for me, and I promptly burst into tears. I was devastated, and I felt totally humiliated. After that, I pretty much gave up on illustrating, and I shifted into fiber and textile arts. It was a direction I was already shifting towards, so I can't really blame the guy, but I do wonder what if he had offered me a little kindness, a little encouragement, some positivity, maybe I would have hung on a bit longer with my dream of being an illustrator. Who, who knows? 
ultimately what I learned was having somebody praising your work versus somebody disparaging your work, it's really the same thing. They're just two sides of the same coin. And that coin is simply one person's opinion, nothing else. It's just somebody's opinion. So I decided over time to stop giving somebody else the power to tell me what my work should look like or be like, especially a person who I don't even know enough to value their opinion. I mean, that's sort of the thing. We give this power to people to tell us whether we or our work are worthy or not, and who even are they? Most of the time, we don't know that much, if anything, about them. And when it comes to when we put ourselves out there to be joyed or selected for something and we don't get accepted, it sucks. But I think it's helpful to remember that we'll never know how close we might have come to getting it. I mean, we might have been neck to neck. There might have been this heated debate going on between several jurors trying to decide, you know, which of the two do we pick? They're both worthy. They're both great. But whatever reason, on that final day, in that particular moment, under whatever moon and star alignment is hanging overhead, we weren't picked. Somebody else was. And that's okay because, you know, had we been picked, they would have lost out and they'd be feeling rejected. I mean, there's enough pie for everyone to get a slice. We just have to remember not each and every time. And when we don't get what we thought we wanted, if we can look past that missed opportunity, we may be able to see that there's now this newly opened up space and time for something new to emerge. So no reason to despair. It's all good. Anyhow, love to everybody who's ever been rejected. We've all been there and it is okay. Weaver Claire Who asks us, how many yeses do we actually need? My name is Claire Who. Um, I am an artist currently based out of New York. I feel like the past couple months or so, I have been very disappointed since it's kind of been not so much rejection, but just bad news after bad news. What once I thought I had like a really busy season coming up, it has ended with me just taking more time to be in my studio and not having as much opportunities. I think when things started falling apart, I was feeling a little down on myself. And I think when it's just like one punch after another, it's really easy to just go home, cry a little bit and like not want to be in the studio. And I think that's what I did probably for at least a couple of days. But I think that's when it, I, I find it so helpful to be able to lean on my friends who are also artists, who also know what disappointment and rejection looks like. And I think that's when they're able to remind me that you, you always get more no's than yeses and you really only need to get that one yes and I think you feel a lot closer as like a community when you can like bond over things like disappointments and I think it's just like a great time to lean on the community that you've already created for yourself. Julian Jamal Jones reminds us that disappointment is something we can use to make our work even better. My name is Julian Jamal Jones, a multidisciplinary artist working primarily in quilting and textile arts. I have experienced multiple disappointments in my career, and I find that to be powerful reinforcement for me. I don't take disappointment personally. I don't take it in a negative way. I kind of like flip it and make it more positive reinforcement for me to try harder to try again the following year to make my pieces larger or to try something new that I've never done before. So, of course, I have emotions like everyone else. I might be upset for a couple minutes or I might, you know, might, I don't know, rant a little bit. But I feel like disappointment and decline is kind of 
being an artist and what an artist should experience. I feel like if you're not accepted into every submission or accepted into every residency that you want to be a part of, I find it, it makes you better. It makes you stronger. It makes you have more of a thicker skin. And that's something that I had to figure out for myself because I was a person that didn't have a thick skin. I was very emotional. I couldn't take critiques well in school. But now that I'm out in the world, I'm presenting my work. I feel like now I have more confidence. I feel my work is for not, I believe my work is not for everybody. So that's another reason why I kind of don't take it personal because, for example, I'm working in strictly abstraction. Everyone might not understand the theory behind abstraction or the logics behind abstraction. So I kind of find it to be like either you like my work or you don't. I find another reason too, I think the biggest thing for me is comparing myself to other artists on Instagram or, you know, an artist that is showing at a gallery that you want to show at. I just take it as it's not my time. You know, it might not be the, the best timing for me to exhibit with that gallery. And I just keep trying and trying and putting everything I have into my practice. And I believe that Hard work pays off, and I kind of stick to that theory, and I don't know, overthink everything. And last, but most definitely not least, is a new friend to Seamside, Weaver Rachel McGinnis, who you'll hear more from in a couple of weeks. But today, she shares with us things that have helped her in the past when she's been confronted with disappointment. So I'm thinking about the times, the many times that I have experienced disappointment in putting myself forward for a creative professional opportunity. And I know at those times that I felt extreme disappointment, sadness, maybe a bit of despair, kind of feeling like never going to get where I want to get or need to be. And three things come to mind that have been helpful. One is simply to pause and remember that it actually does take time to get to where I want to be. And I can't know what that timeline will be. The second is that I've always found putting together the application and presenting my work to be beneficial, even when I haven't gotten the opportunity that there's a clarity that comes forward from from writing about the work, from sharing that work, having the confidence to share that work that propels my work forward no matter what. And then lastly, I think a key piece for me is reminding myself that I can't know exactly why I didn't get it, that it could have been the mix of jurors and it could have been the mix of who I was up against that basically the fit just wasn't right and that trusting that if this opportunity remains important to me and I continue to put my best foot forward that there will be a time when the fit is right. I am so thankful for everybody that took time to weigh in and share their experiences about times of disappointment. Listen to these messages the first time through Several of them brought tears to my eyes. They're just like a balm for the soul. Now let's take a listen to my own story that I recorded a couple days ago while I was still feeling pretty fresh. Many of you know I applied for a long residency that I've worked really hard for and felt like all the stars were aligning just right. 
only to learn in the final round that I didn't make the cut. It was a really hard moment for me, and if you've ever put yourself out there and dared to stake your hopes on a dream, you know what a blow it can be to get news like that. For an opportunity like the one I was seeking, it was necessary for me to envision a whole new way of how my life might be lived for the next three years. I had to get to a point where I was willing to turn life as I know it upside down in order to explore this new potential path. And all that dreaming was beautiful. I saw some wonderful things coming down the pike for me. But because it was so beautiful, it sure is hard to let go of that dreaming. My response to the news, well, <laughs> I was actually driving down the road, the highway at the time, small highway, and I saw a little blip notification on my phone. I was like, oh, there it is. Didn't know whether it was good or bad, but I pull over right away and read just enough to see the I'm sorry words and just knew, well, that's, that's what it's going to be. So I took a moment, drove home. I was actually driving home because we had to bury my uncle, so got him buried, had his funeral, spent a lot of time with family, and now I've been able to process. And what's been really helpful for me over the last few days is one, I've been able to take a deep dive into this current project I've been working on. It feels like some form of the best revenge is a life well lived or something, but I'm not even interested in revenge. It's not even about that. But it seems to me that in the wake of not getting this opportunity that I was so excited about, the best thing I could do is to make something with my hands that I am supremely proud of. And so I've been pouring a lot of my time and energy that would have probably gone for to to wallowing and <laughs> to commiserating with myself into this quilt. And it's just another way in which quilts are such wonderful containers. Because by pouring yourself into a project like this, it's not the same as staying just busy in my mind, right? We can stay busy and keep our mind off of things. But when I'm working on a quilt intensely and for long hours, I am very present how I'm feeling and what thoughts are floating through my mind. And I'm able to work with those and process those emotions while I'm working. And so for me, the number one go-to was get to work, get to work. And I'll say as a side note, and I know this is going to sound just like, oh, I'm kind of rolling my own eyes here in this, but it's so true that one thing that is so helpful for me in these times where my mind just keeps getting pulled down kind of dark pathways is the sound of birds I absolutely love hearing the birds that I can hear from my mom's screened-in porch because at the time of this recording, I'm down North Carolina. And I think the magic of birds is that, one, they're almost always around us, but two, we rarely pay them as much attention as I think they deserve. Birdsong can so easily just fade into the background of any moment. But if we can cultivate a mindset that actively seeks out bird song, and then when we hear it, appreciate it for what it is, and maybe, just maybe even know which bird is singing, all of a sudden, we're surrounded, we're meshed in this acoustic web of community and this world in which things are alive and thriving and making beautiful music. So I would encourage anybody to listen to the birds, and if you want to nerd out like me, download the Merlin Bird app, so you can record that bird song, figure out what bird it's likely to be, because then when you hear that song again, you'll know who's singing. And it won't just be some bird. It'll be your friend, the Carolina Wren, or it'll be your friend, the Chickadee, which feels very different. 
So that's how I've been handling this particular disappointment. I hope that my story and other stories that you've heard have been helpful for you. You probably got some ideas on things that you find helpful too. I'd love to hear them. Send them my way because one thing's for sure. (laughs) I'll probably be disappointed once more again (laughs) before this life is over. So thank you for listening. I look forward to hearing from you. You go sell something good and take good care of yourself.